You may be seated. You know, it's very interesting. This past week, we had the privilege, I think many of us, to see the celebrations that went on around our nation as we celebrated our nation's birthday, so to speak. And when you look at that, I think for many of us, we are concerned about our nation and we are kind of looking at things. Maybe there's some directions we're not, we don't really approve of or when we look at it, we're kind of skeptical of what we're seeing and, and, and probably rightfully so. But the fact remains is the fact that there's been many who've made sacrifices to make what we're experiencing here today possible. And I know we talk about this a lot around this time of year. But we can't forget it. And that's what I'm afraid is going on with our nation today. We're forgetting what it costs us to be here today. And so what I want to do right now, I want to recognize those who are serving or those who have served our country to protect the freedoms that we definitely enjoy in this service this morning. So would you stand to your feet if you've served our country in any way uh, or maybe you are now? Amen. Appreciate you guys. Amen. So many times I think uh, I look at, especially when you hear people talk, it's obvious that we have forgotten where we've come from. And, and I tell you, there's, there's a lot of things that are messed up, but there's a lot of things that God can use too. Many of us don't realize that we are still the leading mission-sending organization in the world when it comes to relief, to help those who are out there who are in need. America still stands number one. When it comes to spreading the gospel, guess what? We're still the number one sending missionaries uh, to the rest of the world. And so there's still a lot there that we need to honor the Lord with. And yes, there are things that we need to pray for our nation about, for its healing, but we also need to recognize that we are still enjoying the freedoms that were the sacrifices that it took for us to enjoy these today. And I don't ever want us to forget that. Today, we continue our sermon series, Flourish. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And today, we're looking at how to flourish when you encounter God's truth. And of course, as we've begun every series, every uh, subject on this series, we start with this definition of flourish to help you understand where we're coming from. It literally means to be healthy and thriving, to blossom, to be at the height of influence. And to me, that's what we are called as Christians to be. We are to blossom in our faith. We are to thrive in our faith to the point that we do have influence. And you say, well, why influence? Because the Bible says that when we live out the word of God, listen, we will have an influence. We will be light. We will be salt to the world. So look at the introduction here. An encounter with God's truth allows a follower of Christ to flourish in their daily life, even in the midst of rejection and suffering. Those who do not encounter God's truth invites destruction into their lives. One that we've seen is a life of blessing while the other is a life of ruin. I can't tell you how many times that someone will approach me either by email, say I need to meet with you during the week or whatever it may be, that there's times where people approach me and say, I don't know what to do with where I am in life. And I think many of us have probably been there. I've been there. 
But there's so many times when I see those, the desperations that these people have when they come or when they write, the, de the desperation, I'm afraid, even at times when I've needed that and I've had that desperation in my own life, have always come when we haven't made it a discipline to encounter God's word. To me, that is the problem. The reason that life seems to overwhelm us, the reason we become despondent many times, the reason there seems to be no hope and no peace is because we're not encountering the very thing that can give us hope, that can give us peace. And that is the word of God. Now, what, do, what happens when we encounter the word of God? Well, we can have more victory. You say, well, wait, victory? More victory? What do you mean more victory? I'm talking about victory in anything the world throws at you. Anything. So many people say, well, my victory is all conditional. My victory is when uh, everything is just working out for me and every, it's just smooth sailing. No, we get real comfortable in those settings, don't we? It's when we begin to understand our life through the filter of God's word. When we begin to understand that God is at work in our lives, no matter what we're facing, we can have victory when we encounter the word of God. So look on your outline. A life that reaps blessing, blessings receives the word of God. If you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter two, I think I told you chapter one, it's chapter two. Look at verse 13. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. He, when he says that effectively works in you who believe, he's talking about in you who have faith, in you who is a follower of Jesus Christ. And so here's what I want us to understand when it comes to this whole verse 13, which I believe is loaded with beautiful pictures of what, how we are to encounter God's word. There are many messages out there in our world. We would all agree with that. Messages from the advertising world that basically says, if you buy this, you'll be blessed. Isn't that really what they're saying? If you buy this, you'll be happy. If you buy this, you'll be blessed. Messages from the philosophical world. If you believe this, you'll be blessed. Messages from the political world. If you vote this way, you will be blessed. We hear all these messages and they're numerous and they're constantly bombarding us and coming at us. But Jesus said this, take heed what you hear. You know what you're saying there? He says, be careful when it comes to receiving the messages that are out there in the world. You need to be careful. He said that about the first century. Can you imagine how much even more than is affected here in the 21st century? When we have all these mechanisms coming at us from television, multi, uh, the media, everywhere, social media, and we have all these messages. So how do we get down to the root of receiving the word? How do we understand what is the true message? Well, first of all, he says, we receive the word, look at your outline, by appreciating it, to appreciate God's word. Listen, the Bible is not the words of men. Some may say the Bible's just the opinions of a bunch of men who lived thousands of years ago, but I want you to think about this. Think about this from two views. The Bible is such a book that men, I do not believe, could have written it. You know why? Because there is a mystery to God's word. 
There is a continuity to God's word that will blow your mind when you really start looking at the deeper meanings of scripture. When you begin to even look at some of the Hebrew meanings and as it translates into the, the, the whole idea of when Christ came and you begin to see this beautiful picture, there's a lot more that's even on the surface that's underneath that you can see. And so here's what we need to understand. The Bible, as I said, is truly a miracle because of the continuity. Over 40 authors, 66 different books, written over thousands of years in regions miles apart. Yet when you read its message, there is unity, there is truth, there is accuracy, and it all centers around, listen, one person. It's really amazing when you really begin to look at it. Second of all, the Bible is such a book, is such a book that men would not have written it. Think about it. The book, God's word, calls us out. It doesn't, it doesn't give us all this stuff. Uh, hey, if you'll do this, 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 and this, maybe you'll be pleasing to God or maybe, no, it, it, it describes us perfectly, doesn't it? I mean, when you get into the nuances of what the gospel is there to provide for our needs and what kind of needs that it meets, and you begin to look at how it just, you begin to say, you know something? This is not just words. These are words that speak to me. How many of you ever been there? And that's what we're looking at here. God used human authors to pen the Bible. Men wrote the words of God. Over 3,000 times it reads, says the Lord, or God says. The Bible is God's message to us. And therefore, I think if we don't appreciate it, then we're totally missing something. We're missing something. We are to appreciate God's word. Second of all, we are to, uh, how do we receive the word of God? By appropriating it. Look at verse 13 again. It says, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing because when you receive the word, that's us appreciating it for what it is, which you have heard from us, what did they do? You welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. Now think about how this process works. He says, when you heard it, what do you say first of all? You received it. There was that audible sound of the word. You were receptive to it. Many of you are sitting here this morning. You are receptive to what I'm saying. Most of you have your attention. I can tell I have your attention. I think sometimes, I think I've said this before, you don't think I can see you. I can see you. I know when you're dozing off, okay? But, but most of you this morning are receptive. You're receptive to what I'm saying. You're trying to bring the thoughts together. You're trying to see what is actually being said here. But second of all, you not only received it, it goes a little deeper, you welcomed it. Some translations say you embraced it. It's embracing the word. Sometimes we hear, let's admit this, but sometimes we don't embrace, do we? We hear it, but do we embrace it? It's one thing to hear the word of God, word, the word of God. It's one thing to consider the word of God, but it's completely another thing to embrace the word of God. Now think about you coming here today. Did you come here just to hear words? Or did you come here to welcome what you would hear and embrace what you would hear? Did, did you wake up this morning and say, God, I don't, have, I don't know what you have in store for me today, but when I go into your house today, I want to sing your praises. And, and God, I just want to lift your name up. And, and when the preacher gets up there this morning, I, Lord, I want you to use those words to speak to my heart today. You know what? That tells me that the ones of you who did that, you not only want to, to be receptive to what you're hearing, you want to embrace what, you, what you're going to hear this morning. 
And y'all, that's just the beginning when it comes to how great God's word and how it speaks to us. So how do you receive something? How do you welcome it? How do you appropriate it? The word appropriate literally means this, to take possession of. That's what it means. For you to truly encounter God's word, you not only appreciate it, but you appropriate it. You take possession of it. Now think about that. Are you gonna leave here today? Are you gonna hear the words today? Are you gonna take possession of what you're hearing? Now, what does that look like? James 1.21, look here on the screen. He says this, therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and do what? And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now let's break this, this verse down. He, he's saying, let's lay aside these things over here. And as we lay aside these things, let's quit embracing these things that are getting us in trouble, that's lead, leading us to a life of ruin. And now let's embrace over here the word of God. But it doesn't just say the word of God, does it? It says receive with meekness. What does meekness mean? It literally means the whole idea of meekness is power under control. And here's what it means. It means that you are yielding to a different power. You're no longer yielding to the powers of evil and the powers of your flesh. You're now yielding to what? The implanted word of God. There is a transformation that begins to take place in your life. But then he uses this word save. The word save here is not just for salvation. It says, when you do this, it's able to save your souls. It's not just for salvation. Now, granted, that's how salvation comes about. You're trading the old life for the new life. You're receiving what God has, his word. But it also means, it's not just for salvation, it also means for our living. How many of you sometimes just get so desperate that, your soul just needs saving. And I'm not talking about just your salvation. I'm talking about from the depths of despair. When you're just so down, when everybody around you has let you down, when, when you feel like sometimes God has let you down, and all of a sudden you have that fresh encounter with him, it's literally him resuscitating your life. And he's fully capable of doing it. But how does he do this? How does a person truly receive God's truth? How do they encounter it? Look on your outline through revelation. It's through revelation. Some of you might say through revelation, that, that's the last book of the Bible. Well, that is the name we give it. But the word revelation literally means the unfolding of something. It's a mystery being revealed is really what it is. And, and that's what we're talking about. We're, we're talking about God revealing himself to you. But, but it goes deeper than that. It also comes through illumination. The Holy Spirit's interaction with God's word to provide one with insight. I want you to think about how this works. We're going to welcome God's word. We're going to appreciate it for what it is. Okay. We're going to appropriate his word. How are we going to appropriate his word? How are we going to take possession of it? Well, number one, we're going to realize that he wants to reveal something to each of us, right? Okay. So we're going to, he's, we're going to accept the fact he wants to reveal something about us this morning. Okay. But not only that, we want him to illuminate something in us. We want there to be light shown upon something in the dark recesses of who we are in our soul. And so as a result, we know that God wants to reveal something to us. We know it's there. So as a result, we're going to allow the Holy Spirit of God to speak to us. Now, let me tell you what that looks like in the service. 
There's, as I said a couple of weeks ago, there's many times where people will come up and say, it's like you were sitting there speaking just to me. Who have you been talking to? I mean, they'll start blaming their wife. I mean, who, who are you talking to? You know, and it's really amazing. And it, that's the reason I just kind of sit back and say, man, God is so good. Of course, they're in desperation. But anyway, what do you know about me? You know, but, but listen, that's when illumination is taking place. That's when the word of God is being held up. And I'm revealing what God has written in his word. And the illumination process is the Holy Spirit taking that word and driving it home. Where would he drive it home to? To your heart. To the recesses of your heart. To speak to your heart in a specific way. You see, we have studied this before, but there are two kinds of word that we can receive here today. And it's not on your outline. If you want to write it down, you're welcome to. The word logos. That is the written revelation of God. Every one of us have encountered that. If you've read God's word, listen, you have read the logos of God's word, the written word of God. It's generic. It just speaks to all. But then you have those moments where you have something called the rhema word of God, the rhema word of God. And that is when the Holy Spirit moves in such a way in unison with the word of God that it contacts you. It it does something to you in a way that it illuminates something. It can encourage you. It can challenge you. It can convict you. It can say there's a better way. It can say, hey, take heed. Did you understand this? There's so many different ways that can happen. But you have that whole idea of illumination. And that's when you begin to take possession of God's word. You take possession of it. Now, the path to experiencing a blessed life comes by way of embracing and welcoming the word of God into your heart and soul. It literally gives you the idea of something that now indwells you. It indwells you. What does that mean? It becomes a part of you. It becomes a part of you. How many of you have ever had an animal in your life? By the way, I got a cat if anybody wants a cat. Have I mentioned I have a cat now? If you want the cat, you can have the cat. But anyway, it's a real nice cat. You'll love the cat. Well, anyway, I'll just shut up about the cat. But anyway, (laughs) we had a dog in our life. I remember when I was a young whippersnapper, when I was real young, and I remember uh, we had a dog. His name was Frosty. We got him from the pound, and he was the most loving dog. I mean, he would literally, when we were away at school, he would literally go get a toy from my room, my sister's room, and bring it to the, to the window that he could look out of to see the bus come back. And he'd sit there and with those three toys, one from each of us, and sit there and could not wait for us to come back. Now, our hearts were drawn to that animal. Uh, I mean, of course, I was a kid back then, but guess what? It happened to me again when I was an adult. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Your life can get wrapped around these animals. And all of a sudden, uh, we had another dog in our life for about 14 years. And, and, and that dog, it, it became a part of the family. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Now, listen, we didn't brush its teeth. We didn't dress it up in clothes. We didn't, some of y'all take this way too far. But anyway, uh, <laughs> we didn't do all that. But, but one thing we did do is we loved that little animal. And that dog had a special place in our heart. And we opened our heart to receive that animal. We, we really did. And, 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 but there came a time when we knew we had to put it down. How many of you ever had to do that? 
And we had to go to the, to the, to the, to the vet. And the vet, was, uh, he might even be here this morning. But anyway, I hope he doesn't tell you. But anyway, I carried the dog to the vet. And he begins to, he says, okay. Uh, he said, do you want me to do this? You leave. I said, my wife said I had to stay through the whole thing. And I said, <laughs> so I sat there. And, 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 and he gave the dog the shot. And the light, I could feel the life go out of the dog. I was holding the dog. Man, I tell you, I, I, I had little tears in my eyes. I wasn't prepared for what took place in my life at that time. I got home and I got in the car. I, I don't even know if I was even polite. I don't even know if I paid for the process. I, I just got in the car. I was distraught. <laughs> but let me tell you why that was such a big deal. I opened my heart to that animal. I embraced it. I welcomed it. I opened my heart to it. You say, isn't it kind of sacrilegious to compare God's word to an animal? No, I'm talking about the process of the fact that when it's not there, it hurts. I'm talking about the process that you give yourself so much to something that you take care of it. You, you greet it. It greets you. There's a, there's a relationship with it in such a way that you never dreamed that you could have. And yes, you can have that with children too. But anyway... <laughs> But it was one of those things where it was special. It was something there. Next, we received the word of God, not only by appreciating it and appropriating it, but by applying it. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 is just loaded with great stuff. Look at it again. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Paul's basically saying, I am so passionate about and so excited about what God's doing in your life. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the words of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also, here it is, effectively works in you who believe. Now, living a life of blessing is an inside job. Did you know that? Most of us associate our blessings, and there's many people on TV that claim they're preachers, associate their blessings with jets and cars and all these things. No, the work of blessing is an inside job. It's something that happens in you. It's something that God's doing. So, so living a life of blessings, an inside job. It's the change on the inside that brings change on the outside. How does that happen? By applying God's word, by taking possession of it in such a way that now you live it out. So what does that look like? Well, it matures you. It gives you wisdom and discernment. It frees you from bondage. It builds you up when you're down. It gives you peace and hope in the worst of circumstances. Think of this, when the word of God gets on the inside, when you receive it, embrace it and apply it, well, it'll change your language, it changes your attitude, it changes your desires, it even changes how you view life. You see things in a completely different way. The psalmist said this, I have hidden your word in my heart. You know what that literally means? It, it has found a dwelling place in my heart. Your word is dwelling here. And, and, and when I don't sense that it's there, it's like a longing for home. It's like something is missing when it's not there or when I'm not appropriating it and I'm not using it the way you intend me to use it. There's a pain there. There's a hurt there. And he's talking about this. He said, I've hidden my word in, your, in my heart that I may not sin against you. Someone has rightly said this, and this is really what the psalmist is talking about. Meditation is to your spiritual life as digestion is to your physical life. You say that sounds kind of crude. Well, not really when you think about it. Meditating on God's word. 
It's not that quick. It's not the quick check the thing off the list early in the morning. Well, got to read my daily bread. There's nothing wrong with daily bread. We hand it out freely here. Um, it's nothing wrong with reading whatever. It's just there's got to be more to it. There, if you're not encountering God through his word, you need to, you need to look at it a little differently because that's the intention. He wants you to encounter his word. In verse 13, he says, in you who believe, it's a word that's in you who believe. Listen to this. It's basically saying it's impossible for this process to take place unless there is faith. Some of you may be here today and maybe you're kind of new to the faith and or maybe you're someone who's been in the faith for a long time, but you've never been discipled into knowing maybe, well, where do I go from here? If I really want to encounter God's word, how do I do that? Well, let me tell you some ways I've done it over the, over the years, okay? Uh, sometimes uh, there was a year or so where I read a proverb every day. How many of you ever done that before? Raise your hand. You know there's 31 proverbs? And if you read one a day, you can fill the month. Now, February, you're getting jilted out of three, three days most of the time. But anyway... Uh, <laughs> But, but some people do that. And, and then they not only do that, they try to read a gospel at the same time. Maybe they'll read a, a, the gospel of John, which I would recommend you start there. Uh, and then some people will try to pick up an epistle like 1 John. It's a beautiful book to kind of help you understand what, who, who you are in God's eyes. And just starting there and just saying, God, I want you to speak to my heart. I don't want to just read this. I, I'm, I appreciate what your word is, but God, I want something else to happen. I want to possess what you have for me. And that is in your word. Next, a life that reaps blessings not only receives the word of God, but also relates to the church. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14, for you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. Notice it says churches of God. Are you aware that the church found its beginning there in Jerusalem at Pentecost? Are you aware that's where the first, the seedbed of the church happened? And from this, Paul was saying 20 years later, we're estimating 20 years later, now there are other churches. There are churches all over the region in Judea. Jerusalem happened to be in Judea. You say, what does that look like here? It would be Shelby in Cleveland County, okay? And so there were churches everywhere in that, in that region. And so they were there using their gifts to serve the church or they're supporting the church. They're growing in the church. They had a bond with the church. That's one thing that I've noticed. Some of the greatest growth that's ever happened in my life has not only been when I appreciated God's word and I had a desire to, to possess what it has, but have, it's also been when other believers were in it with me. That's the reason small groups are so important. That's the reason we need each other. That's the reason there's, a, there's several ladies who, and they told me this, it kind of hurt my feelings. I get more out of their Wednesday night Bible study here than they do me. Anyway, that's fine. I guess it'll be all right. But, but no, <laughs> no, but, but it is. It's that, it's that capturing. It's, it's doing life together. It's saying, you know something? This is what God did in my life. And everybody look at the next person and say, did God do something with you in this part here? Did, is there something about what God did to you here? Let's share our encounter. It just builds something. He says, become imitators. It means examples to watch. What were they imitating? How to deal with suffering and persecution in this case. You see, the churches in Thessalonica, those churches in that area, 
they were new churches. The churches in Judea had been around for almost 20 years. And they're basically saying, imitate them. They're handling it well. They're handling the persecution. Look at what they're doing. Next, a life that reaps blessings, not only receives the word and relates to the church of God, but endures with the people of God. Look at verse 14, the second part. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Judeans. Now, let me tell you something that really hits close to home. How would Paul know how well the Judeans were dealing with the persecution? He was the source of the persecution. Do you remember? He was the one who was there. He, some people believe he gave the command for Stephen to be stoned. And he watched that. That's one of the last things that he watched before God got a hold of his heart. He went out through that same region and he would arrest people who claimed to be Christians, followers of Christ. He'd lock them up. That's how he knew how well they held up under persecution because he was a persecutor. Isn't it amazing how God didn't necessarily send Paul to those regions? If you look carefully at his missionary journeys, he always went north of Jerusalem. He got out of town. You know why? Because there were still people struggling with his intentions. He didn't want to be a source of them stumbling. So he left the areas he did a lot of his persecuting in. Isn't that kind of amazing when you think about it? So Paul's basically saying, you wouldn't believe. He saw Stephen Stone on his command. He put many Christians in prison. He heard of the imprisonment of Peter. He heard of the death of James. You know, a lot of you probably are thinking, yeah, that was the first century. That must have been a hard time for Christians. Do you know the persecution continues? This is gonna shock you, but listen to this. Do you realize that there were more Christians martyred for their faith in the 20th century, that was the last century, than all the 19 centuries of the Christian faith combined. It still goes on. It still goes on. But they endured. Let me continue. A life that reaps blessings. Let me go from that to a life that reaps ruin. How do, what does it look like when a life reaps ruin? Well, they reject the messengers of God. If you look at verse 15, it says, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. So basically, they killed the messengers of God. Who would that also have included? Paul would have been one of those. You remember his name, Saul? You remember he was going out looking for those he could persecute, those he could kill, he could imprison? Now, in the case of Jesus, here's what we got to understand. Understand, The religious crowd is the one that killed Jesus. Did you know that? They did not like the message, so they destroyed it and created their own. Did you know that? Did you know that still goes on today? Let's get rid of the message. Let's flip the message. Let's change the direction of the message. Well, why would you do that? Because I don't like it. It doesn't suit my lifestyle. It doesn't suit what I'm looking for. Does that sound familiar? Sounds just like today. Nothing's changed. They didn't like the message. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, 
Paul was writing to Timothy, he's saying basically, stay in the ministry, Timothy, uh, but I want to give you this. This is something you're going to see more and more of and see if this isn't true for today. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, Paul's telling Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. You know what that literally means? They're not going to want to hear what God really has to say. They don't really want to hear it. But according to their own desires, according to what's within them and what they want and what they desire, according to those things, uh, they will have itching ears. That means they'll be going from place to place to hear a message they want to hear. Is that going on today? Most definitely. Do you know that if you don't like the message in this church right here today, in this county, you can go to another church and hear a different message? Did you know that? Not in Cleveland County. Yes. They will heap up for themselves teachers. This is what I want to hear. You're the man. You keep doing it. You, you, yeah, you, you tell, yeah, this just lines up with what I'm fit. This is my desire. Yeah, I like this message. Dangerous, isn't it? Can you see how dangerous this can get? They'll turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. You know what that literally means? When they begin to walk away from truth, they have the potential, listen, to believe anything. Some of you may not realize this, but every Tuesday, or we attempt to, every Tuesday, a pastor puts out something on our app or our website, or, or yeah, our website, just sharing our heart about the ministry opportunities that may be coming up or sharing our heart about anything. And this past Tuesday, I put one about where our country is and what's happened since we've walked away from absolute truth to relative truth and how people now are just kind of, it's kind of going along with what I just said here. And I hope you'll take that. If you want to hear the, the, the hearts of the pastors in this church, that's where you'll find it. We try to put one out every week. And, and, and there's more about what I just said there, but that's the world they were living in in the first century and we're still dealing with it in the 21st century. What did they do? How did they do this? How did they reject the messengers of God? Here's what they do. Listen to this. They do this by creating God in their own image. How many of you have heard that recently? I don't like the God over here in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'd rather talk about the God in 1 John 5, whatever, about the love of God, how he loves everybody. And he does, by the way. But they pick and choose what they want to believe and what suits, what suits them. They do that by creating their own God in their own image, but they also do it by creating their, creating their own truth. Both eventually lead to a life of ruin. But let me tell you this. You know what the problem with most Christians is? They don't know the difference. They don't know the difference. Why is it that they don't know the difference? They don't know God's word. They don't embrace God's word. They don't, they don't encounter God in their daily lives. They just settle for just a little snippet here, a little snippet here. How many of you have heard the phrase, I know just enough to be dangerous? Do you know that can apply to God's word? You better know God's word. Get in there and know God's word. Why would you need to know God's word? Well, you don't want your life. How many of you would like to sign up for a life of ruin? Anybody? 
How many would you like to see your children go down the path of ruin? Anybody? You got to know the word. Life of ruin obstructs the work of God. They hinder lost people from being saved. They hindered the work of the church. First Thessalonians chapter two, Paul's talking to the Jewish crowd, the religious crowd. He says, and they do not please God and are contrary to all men. That means they still believe they're this select group of people, the Jews. They've got the corner on the market of who God is and, and, and they like it to be that way. And it basically says they're forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. So really, if you want to understand the language here, a Gentile is anyone who's not Jewish. And they didn't want the word to go out to everybody. They didn't want everybody else to be special in God's eyes. They cornered the market. There's nothing more serious on this earth than hindering the work of God. Next, a life that reaps ruin receives the wrath of God. You see, again, this is the part that we don't like to hear from God's word. I think a lot of us kind of look at this idea, and even us who know God's word, I think we look at it, if God is so loving and God is so caring and he cares about the world, he went to the extent that he did to allow his son to die, then surely there's not this judgment in him, Right? Yeah, there is. If you study the character, God, character of God, listen, his character tells us he must judge sin. How will he judge sin? The Bible says through his wrath. His wrath. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, the second part of verse 16. So as always, to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Now, what causes, look, at, there seems to be something going on here. What causes the cup of sin to be full? Have you ever thought about that? When do you get to the point where God intervenes and he says, I'm going to do something about this. They have filled the cup. And we're going to do something about this. Do you realize almost 30 years after this, after this encounter that we're reading here, maybe 20 years, did you, do you know what happens? 70 AD, 70 AD, the temple is destroyed. The temple, the place where the Jews says heaven and earth comes together. The place where they say that our only hope from hearing from God himself is through this means. It is destroyed, wiped out. Could that be the wrath of God? It was definitely the starting point. The Bible says in John chapter 13, he who believes in the son of God has everlasting life, but he who does not believe the son of God shall not see life, at least the life he's talking about. What's the life he's talking about? A life of blessing. He says, however, but the wrath of God abides on him. That means their life is of ruin. It's, gonna, it's not only in ruin, it will lead to even more ruin. To the utmost. So here's the application. Is your life experiencing blessings or ruin? For some of you to be able to answer this, you really need to understand what is really true blessing. Some of you say, well, the blessing is having the car I want, in the house I want, where I want, blah, blah, blah. Remember, blessing is an inside job. How do we know that? Jesus said it himself on the Sermon on the Mount. 
Blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those. Every bit of that is inside work. Can it blossom to something on the outside? Yeah, but it's planted on the inside first. Can it blossom into something else? Yes, there's all kinds of things that has potential once it starts here. But the thing we need to realize is that God is upside. So is your life experiencing blessings or ruin? Is your eternity destined for utter blessing or utter ruin? The blessing will only be realized when you have an encounter with God's truth to the point that it transforms your life. So here's the question. How do I know when I've encountered God's word? When you see changes. When all of a sudden you sit in a service possibly like this, or you're in your quiet time and you're saying, God, I want you to speak to my heart. Or you're sitting in a small group and you show up and you begin to hear a young lady or a young man sit there or an older lady or older man sit there and talk about the time they encountered God and all of a sudden your stories start to match up and together it just breaks out into some kind of worship. Or when you're sitting here today, and maybe this is what's taking place in your life, you've came here to hear the word. You never fully expected God to do what he did here today because you, it just kind of caught you off guard to the point where you're like, man, this is exactly what I need today. That's the illumination of God. That's the rhema word of God. He's speaking to your needs specifically. That's how you encounter him. I want to invite you, if you would, to stand to your feet your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And I don't know where God has you right now. I, I, I don't know what's going on with you. I, some of you, I hear how God's working in your life and how you've encountered him recently. I, I had a conversation with someone just a couple of days ago and, and they started the conversation like this. You wouldn't believe what God's done in my life recently. You wouldn't believe what I've seen happen in this person I've been praying for for so long. You wouldn't believe how my whole idea of who God is has changed just because I got a hold of who he really is. You wouldn't believe, here's, this is the best one I've ever heard. You wouldn't believe the lies that I used to believe that now I don't believe in. You wouldn't believe that I first recently just encountered what God's word really says about me. It's, it's amazing. I love it when the light comes on. What is that? That's illumination. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, Wesley's going to play softly and there'll be pastors here at the front. We, I, I just want to ask you, where are you this morning? For some of you, I guarantee you, you've encountered God possibly at some point. But what has he done lately? What's happened with you lately? Have you built the discipline in your life to say, God, I need to hear from you on this matter? You ever had an adult child come to you and say, Mom, Dad, what do you think about this? Hey, have you ever told that child, Honey, I, I, I don't know, but that's something I'm going to go to God about. And I, I'm, going to, I'm going to come back and give you what his word has to say about it. Because there's a lot of opinions out there. Dr. Phil and Oprah and all them, they got all kinds of ideas about what needs to happen. But let's go to God's word. Let's find out what God's word says about this. Where are you this morning? We'll be here at the front. Just take these moments to reflect on what God's shown you here.